Welcome to the Education, Career, and Beyond podcast. We've combined life experience with young adult drive and ambition. Are you just starting to college plan? Did you finish your education and wonder, now what? Join us in this lively discussion about the topics you need to know to create the next stage of your life's dreams, careers, finances, education, and more. Brought to you by Voice for Heroes 501c3. Welcome to another episode of Education, Career, and Beyond. Our wonderful co-host Capri is in college and right now on spring break. So we forgive her for not being with us this week. She's earned it. She needs to enjoy it. But Ed and I today have a guest now that we just get to pummel with questions. I'm really excited about this. <laughs> I'm like, poor Mark, Mark Hirschberg. And I want to read his bio because myself trying to fumble through this would not do it justice. So I want to give you a proper tee up here, Mark, and then we will get started with the show. Mark, the Career Toolkit, he's the author of Career, to Career Toolkit, Essential Skills for Success That No One Taught You, which is what we're going to discuss today, and the creator of the Brain Bump app. From tracking criminals and terrorists on the dark web to creating marketplaces and new authentic I thought I can't speak today. New authentication systems. Mark has spent his career launching and developing new ventures at startups and Fortune 500s and in academia with over a dozen patents to his name. He helped to start the Undergraduate Practice Opportunities Program, dubbed MIT's Career Success Accelerator, where he teaches annually at MIT. He receives he received a BS in physics, a BS in electrical engineering, and computer science, and an M. Um, what's the M in? M in electric. Master's in engineering. Thank you. Master's in engineering and electrical engineering and computer science, focusing on cryptography. At Harvard Business School, he helped create a platform used to teach finance in prominent business schools, and he's also worked with many nonprofits and currently on the board of Plant a Million Corals. And if we have time, we're going to talk about his top-ranked ballroom dancing, and he now lives in New York City. Sorry about that. I completely butchered. I clearly have not spoken to humans yet today. Welcome to the show, Mark. I'm going to hand it over to Ed. <laughs> Well, Mark, I can guarantee you I'm going to butcher it. So let's just, I, I, I'm fascinated by all the work that you've done. And I always try to think contextually about what a young person might want to ask you. Yeah. Um, I think it sounds pretty glamorous and pretty cool that you sit on boards of directors. And I want to get into that. And I want to talk about the career development stuff that you find so important and why you went down that road. But I want to know, like, how does one get from you graduate from college, you're working on different things to a board? Like, I how does that actually happen? And what type of things are you looking for when you're looking for opportunities? So it's like a two-part question. You start yeah, exactly. one place, how do you get to sit on a board and make companies grow or rehab them and develop them? What is that, how's that, what's that path look like? All right, now first let me say, everyone's bio sounds really impressive because we spent time making it look good. It's like the Instagram yeah. photos. Wow, that's yes. gorgeous. And <laughs> then if you widen the lens and you see the chaos of their life or the times they're not taking a snapshot, you go, that's chaos. <laughs> and when you take the highlights of my career and read it, you say, wow, that's a really cool bio. But there's periods of unemployment. Sure. There's periods of, as my old roommate used to say, uh, me sitting on the couch, he'd say, living the life of the highly paid software engineer. We just had a boring life and 
I'd code and then I'd come home and not much happened. So understand impressive bios for me or anyone else. It's really not as impressive if you see the whole picture. Likewise, sitting on boards, it's not always as impressive as you think. Now, a board, meaning board of directors, there's also board of advisors. Um, a board of advisors is just a group of people who give advice to a company. Typically, they're compensated in some way. But a board of directors, they are the people responsible for making sure the company is functioning well. They represent all the shareholders and people who own the company. And they are the ones hiring the CEO. The CEO, the person who's in charge, reports into the board. And the board says, are you doing a good job? We're just going to check up on you a couple times a year. Now, there are board of directors of companies, for-profit companies, and board directors of non-profit companies. Mm -hmm. Now, here's another secret. For most non-profit companies, or not companies, most non-profits, the way you're on a board is one of two things. Either you bought your way in, you give money. And where I live in New York City, and we have all these big museums and fancy things, and they do their big galas, if you want to be on the board of, let's say, the Met, the Metropolitan Museum, it's because you wrote a big check. That's really how you get on board. Or you got enough other friends to write checks and kind of put them under your name. And they say, okay, you can be on our board. So a lot of big, fancy nonprofits, you're on the board because you've written a check. Now, I'm on the board of typically smaller organizations, and we're known as working boards. And we come on because it's a nonprofit. They don't have a lot of money. They don't have a big team. And typically, the founder, the CEO, or usually it's called executive director, may need some help because she may not be an expert in every aspect of running a business. And so we're really giving our time. And the way you get on boards, it's by creating a diverse network, getting to know people and having a good track record where mm -hmm. someone says, I need your help. And so the good news for being well-networked and capable is you get to do more work, but if it's a nonprofit you believe in, <laughs> it's rewarding in of itself. Over committing ourselves, which I have a tendency to do. I, I sit on three boards, so I get it. <laughs> so, Mark, I really appreciate that explanation because yeah, I don't think uh, I, I got to tell you something. If I was to ask a handful of high school students right now, what's the difference between a board of advisors and a board of directors? I don't know if they would have any idea. And I think you're going to run into young entrepreneurial types. They seem to be coming up more frequently now with their ideas and their ability to market themselves and understanding the differences in that is, is, is really awesome. But I want to get back to your, uh, your bio uh, because you can tell me that it's not impressive, but to me it was kind of impressive. But there was one thing on there that I really wanted to understand. You said you said what you had as a title was CTO in CPO, and then you combine them, CTPO. I did not, I've heard about most C-suites, but I didn't really know what a CPO was. Can you tell the folks what that means and how you combine them together for the CTPO? Normally, when we think of a company, we traditionally think there's a president, and then there's a vice president of marketing, vice president of finance, vice president of engineering, of all different units. For whatever reason, a few decades ago, we started to see what was known as C-suite titles. C meaning chief. And so instead of president, companies now have people they call the CEO, chief executive officer. They might even have a president underneath the CEO, which seems kind of confusing. Right. But so now the person in charge is the CEO, chief executive officer. 
And then everyone else said, well, I want a fancy title too. So the VP of operations became chief <laughs> operating officer, COO. The VP of finance became the chief financial officer, CFO. And CTO, chief technology officer. CMO, chief marketing officer. Less common was CPO, chief product officer. Oh. And CSO or CRO, chief sales officer. We don't see that. We do see now they say, I want to be the CRO, chief revenue officer. And so it's just people saying, I want a fancy title too. I want the C. So really, yeah, I want the C. I want to be in the C-suite. Now, there can be <laughs> distinctions. I've been at companies where we have a C-level person and a V-level person, a chief technology officer and a VP of technology. And really, when you see both of those and you see us at bigger companies, the C-level person is more big picture strategic and the VP person is more tactical day-to-day. -day. Are we actually executing on our plans and delivering or are we behind schedule? So you might see both. Now, you noted as well, not only do I have the C title, but I am a CTO slash CPO, or sometimes it's CTPO. And what we see is in some companies, we do combine those functional areas. More commonly, we've seen in the past, chief uh, revenue marketing officer. We see people who run sales and marketing together because those functions really work closely together. Sometimes we'll see finance and operations going closely together at organizations. More and more, we're seeing product and technology run together. Many of my peers are also running those teams, whether they're VP or C-level, they run both together. Now, it makes sense if you have a very technical product. My background, I do a lot of enterprise software. I do things like cybersecurity, where the average person doesn't necessarily understand what this technology is and how it works. And you have to be very technical. So I can't just get some product person and say, Go decide where the buttons go and make it look pretty. On the other hand, if it was a different area where I might not have the expertise, then we would probably split into different areas or they'd find someone who does have expertise in that domain to do the product and technology. Wow. So I, I'm also interested in the, the arc of that. So where did you start? How much experience did you get? And I know it's kind of hard to measure that in each step of the, as you move up the quote unquote in, you know, corporate food chain. But I find a lot of young people, Mark, that want to get to the top first. They want to start at the right. top, but they've got to go through some stuff. Can you just walk through what your, how your experience led to each step where you could actually get to a C-level position and really make a difference in an organization? There are some good lessons in the story I'm going to tell about how to recognize when you should and shouldn't move forward. When I graduated back in the 90s from MIT, I started as a software engineer and I started doing some programming and that was great. And I quickly realized how much I didn't know, even though I had degrees from MIT, which is a great school. There's a lot of practical stuff you don't learn in school. Now, I knew I wanted to become a CTO, a chief technology officer. But I quickly realized that wasn't just about being the best engineer. Yes, I had to be good at engineering, but I realized there were all these other skills I needed. To be a good CTO or good VP or C anything, you need leadership. You need negotiation skills. You need team building, communicating. You need to know how to hire people. There are all these mm -hmm. skills they never teach us. I said, okay, I need to learn how to do this. Now, by the way, in the late 90s, it was a dot-com era. 
if I just wanted the title, I could do what many of my friends did, which is say, hey, I'm starting a company. You, Mr. VC, give me money, fund my company. Okay, I am the C whatever. And I had a lot of friends with much fancier titles than me. They didn't know what they were doing and their companies went nowhere, but they had really fancy titles. Now, there are some people who got the fancy title at 22 and figured things out along the way and run multi-billion dollar companies the rest of their career. But many do not. We hear about those success stories. We don't hear about the random person who raised millions of dollars, had a fancy title and flamed out and wasted all the money. And that's the majority of what happens. So I knew it wasn't about, can I get the title? It was about, can I do the job? And I wasn't yet ready for the job. But what I did think about is I want to get there and I need a plan to do it. The way I think about if there's a giant river and you want to jump across the river, you can take a big leap, but you might fall in the river. And that's what happened to my friends. Instead, I said, you know what? I'm going to jump from rock to rock to rock. It might take me a couple hops, but I'm going to get to the other end. And so that's how I looked at this. I said, I'm going to take jobs that each job, not only are they going to pay me money and compensate me in some way, but each job is going to move me forward. When I think about what that dream job of mine needs, what it takes to be a CTO and all the experience, those leadership skills and hiring skills, but also running big projects, running teams, all the technical challenges, each job I take, I need to cross off my list now I've learned to do that. Now I've done that or I've gotten better at. So when a few years into my career, I did get the opportunity to start running teams, I was ready to do it. And so that was my approach. I recommend everyone, you create that plan. Think about the skills you have, the skills you need for the role you want in the future. There's going to be a gap and then create a plan to over time fill in that gap so you're ready for that role. That's great feedback. Uh, I want to get into the career toolkit. Um, what was the motivation behind that? And why did you, I guess the same question, what was the motivation behind it? Why did you end up taking on a project like that? Well, as I noted in my own career, I recognized there were all these skills no one ever taught me. And so I had to learn them on my own. We didn't have great shows like this back then. There were far fewer resources. So I began to develop those skills myself and quickly realize these skills apply to everyone. It's a common mistake to think, well, I'll learn leadership once I become a VP or whatever senior title. No, you want to learn those leadership skills now. And all these are skills now, first, because you want the skills before you take the job. But also, it turns out leadership skills, management skills, all these other skills, they apply even when you don't have that title, even when you don't have the formal authority these skills are still helpful. And so I began to upskill my whole team because I realized this will benefit all of us if everyone on my team is more effective. Now, as I was doing this, MIT had gotten feedback from companies saying, we want these skills, not just in your students, not just in engineers, but in everyone we hire everywhere and we can't find it either. So MIT wanted to create the Career Success Accelerator Program to instill these skills in our students. And when I heard about that, I said, well, I've got some material. Let me give it to you and good luck with it. But instead of just taking it, I'm like, well, why don't you help us build some more because we need a lot more. So I helped create some of the course materials. And I said, you know, why don't you help teach? Because we have these great professors, but you're bringing a different perspective as a practitioner. So we now have a group of both 
faculty and practitioners like myself who co-teach the program, I've been doing this for decades, but I know it's not just MIT students, it's not just engineers who need this, and I want to reach a larger audience. So I created the book, which certainly it is written and is usable by, uh, it's written for and usable by students and recent grads, but also mid-career professionals and late-career professionals. I have people in their 40s who say, ah, I wish I can be better at networking. Oh, this book helps me. Yes. Boy, where was this book 20 years ago? So it's really yeah. designed for a very wide audience, including current and recent students. Wow. Well, I'm going to be like That's Ed and thing. ask a two-part. <laughs> Sorry, Ed. No, you, no, it's not a two-part. You got to do like eight parts and make Mark <laughs> write it down so that he can answer them in order. Is, so I've completely taken over this interview as usual. <laughs> Amy, I've got a couple more questions about the career toolkit, but... Uh, okay, I just have I, I, I just have a, a question here because because of the amount of years you've been doing this with and working with young adults, are there first of all, what is one of the most common questions throughout the two decades that you've heard that you've seen that they've asked? And also, what have you noticed has changed more today than what it was even ten years ago? The type of questions or information that they're seeking for launching their career. Remarkably, there haven't been that many changes. And it's because oh. these skills really are universal. Now, to the first part of your question, what are the most common questions? That really varies. In the book, the book is 10 chapters on 10 skills. And if you look at surveys, you'll see listed anywhere from the top five skills you need to be successful to here are the 50 skills for a 21st century. You see different size lists. They're all really the same. It's just kind of where you're drawing the lines, bigger buckets or smaller buckets. Mm -hmm. I have to break it down to 10 buckets. But... The, the questions, it really depends on what bucket you're looking at, what skills. But I'd say here's the most important thing. Can you learn these skills or are they natural? That's probably the most, it's not even necessarily asked directly, but it's implied. It's the thing people wonder about. And here's the thing. We think about our friends and we say, oh, she is really good at sports. She's just naturally good at sports. Hey, he's a really good public speaker. I get nervous, but this guy just goes up on stage and he's so good. And we see natural leaders, natural networkers. And there are people who are naturally good at math, at language, at everything. But the rest of us, we might not be naturally good, but if we put in the work, we can get really good at. Mm -hmm. In fact, those of us who work consistently will outpace those who just say, well, I was naturally good. I don't have to put in the work. Right. Hard work, a little bit of hard work, day after day, week after week, pays off. Mm -hmm. And so all of these skills are learnable. Yes, some people are naturally better than others, but even if you're not naturally good at, I was not naturally good at public speaking. I was not naturally good at many things, but by putting in the work, I got better and you can too. So yeah. all of these skills are learnable and you can do it. Thank you. See, Ed, you can have him back now. <laughs> Good. <I'll, laughs> so speaking of skills, uh, Mark, the one thing that I wrote down was the high value network, not net worth, network. I really would like you to dive in on that. How important is that? What, First of all, what is a high value network and how important is it to develop that? networking is certainly one of the key skills and it's the relationships we have with other people. Now people get tripped up on networking. They have the wrong impression of what networking is because if we watch a movie 
and they're showing some networking montage, what do we see? We see lots of shaking hands, exchanging business cards, and people think, okay, I have to go get a lot of cards. And I know I was this way. Our sales guy would go off to the conference and come back later, an hour later, and he's got 15 cards. You think, wow, how do you do that? I can barely talk to one person. <laughs> That's not networking. Right. So let me give you an analogy. Imagine you pull out your phone, you open your favorite dating app, and you just start swiping. Swipe right, right, right. Imagine if all of a sudden I swipe right and I match with a girl. Oh, look, I just matched with, you know, Jenny. Hey, look, Jenny and I, we matched. Both swipe right. Jenny is now my girlfriend. I am so happy Jenny and I are in a relationship. <laughs> you're, you're laughing. No, no, Jenny and I, we're, we're in love. We swipe right. End of story. Right? You're saying, no, Mark, don't be a fool. You both just swipe right. You expressed interest. Maybe she'll even respond if you write to her. We know that's questionable. But then you actually have to go on dates before she becomes your girlfriend. You have to build that relationship. And that takes time. Yes. And that's what networking is. It isn't, I got a bunch of business cards, mm -hmm. or I have a bunch of followers, or I added people on LinkedIn or whatever site you're using. It's the actual relationship. Yes. So when you meet people, think about building a relationship. Now, it's not necessarily dating, but it is a relationship. And if you've ever made a friend, then you know how to create a relationship. And so to those who are introverts, introverts often think, oh my God, that room of all these people and getting all those business cards, this is overwhelming. That's okay. You don't have to meet people in a large room. You don't have to talk to lots of people. You can meet people one-on-one. -on -one. You can get together for coffee or a video chat some other time and you build that relationship over time. Yes. So focus on building relationships because once you have these relationships, then you can go and make use of it. Imagine if you need to move out of your apartment this weekend. Okay, lots of stuff to pack. You gotta carry that couch down three flights of stairs. Who are you going to ask for help? Is it someone you just met last night at the bar? Hey, great having drinks with you. Why don't you come over this weekend and uh, help me pack up for six hours? No. Or is it your best friend who you've known since middle school and you say, hey, I need a favor. That's who you turn to because you've built that relationship. Yes. So by building our relationships over time, not saying, hey, what can you do for me today? But building a relationship at some point in the future, if I need help or you need help, we can turn to each other. And that's what networking is all about. Perfect. And I love that answer. It's so tool. true. It's so Absolutely. true. What um, a great explanation. Amy, can that. I Thank ask you. another question? Go ahead. <laughs> so uh, I'm trying to get better at not asking multiple level questions, Marks. But so here's the one after great. that one, which I was going to put together. Now I'm separating them. Um, through your career, uh, I would imagine there were people who had a significant impact on where you went. Can you talk a little bit about how important having a mentor or somebody who could coach you up through those processes were? Very helpful because I learned by basically running into the wall, not seeing the wall, running into it two or three more times, and then eventually having someone say, you know, Mark, there's a wall right in front of you. Take a step to your left. And mentors can help you avoid those walls, find the faster path. They've been there. They've done that. Imagine if you're going to a foreign city and the internet didn't exist and you said, oh, I wonder what should I see? What should I do? Wouldn't it be great to talk to someone? Sure, you can get a guidebook and it's going to tell you things, 
But even better is a mentor who knows you, or in this case, someone who's been to FCA before and says, I know you like nice restaurants. Here are some I'd recommend. Avoid these other ones. Or here's something that's more historical, or this is more active because I know you and your interests. So I can help personalize an otherwise generic general guidebook. And that's really what's happening with our professional mentors. They've been further down the path. They've been there before and they can help give you customized guidance. Now, often people think, well, the mentor should be exactly where I want to be in 10 years, 20 years, and they might be. That's certainly not a bad place to start, but you can find someone who maybe is in a different industry or a different role, but doesn't mean they haven't seen some of the same things before. In fact, when you think about your teachers, all of our teachers, in some sense, they know more than us about a particular subject, and some are great at explaining it, and some they might know more, but oh my God, they are terrible at teaching because they're <laughs> so hard to follow and confusing. And it's not just about knowing more, it's can they deliver the information to us in a useful way? So the mentors we want to find are people who have the additional knowledge, maybe exactly the same or maybe close enough or similar enough, but then also we've got that relationship I like connecting with this person. They understand me. I understand them. You've got that relationship chemistry. It's not, oh, I got to talk to my mentor again. It's, oh, good. I get to talk to my mentor again. <laughs> find the person who matches not just on the knowledge, but on that dynamic as well. And you can have more than one. It's okay if one person does all of your needs. Yeah. So, Mark, if somebody you talked, you mentioned being an introvert, you talked about, you know, moving incrementally through a process. Um, how important is to be to be OK with going, I don't know what I'm doing and asking for help? And is that the first step to mentorship in some cases? It is absolutely OK to not be certain. And especially when you're younger when you're in your teens or in college or just out, is absolutely normal to say, I don't know what I want to do, or I might've figured out this is a job I want, but that's today and I haven't even figured out tomorrow. So don't yeah. worry if you're uncertain. In fact, this is what trips people up in their career plans. Because when I say, well, you should think about your plan 10, 20 years in the future, say, oh my God, I can't even figure out what I'm eating for dinner tomorrow night. How the heck am I supposed to know what I'm doing here? But that's okay. Think of it like a road trip. Imagine you say, okay, we're in Boston and we're going to drive to San Francisco. Now, these days, of course, we can put into our GPS and have every inch of it mapped out. But in the days when all of us were younger, we didn't have GPS. We said, okay, we're going to drive cross country. Here are the major highways we're going to take. I have a general idea of how we're going to do it. You don't drive from Boston to, uh, to LA through Florida. So, okay, we're not going that way, but do you want to do a Northern route or Southern route? Okay. We can think about that. And then along the way, we might say, Hey, you know what? I hear there's something really cool in Michigan. So we're taking the Northern route. Let's detour because it'll be fun to check that out. Or, you know, I've got a friend in Tennessee. Let's go stop by and see him. And then a lot of the way you might say, you know what? It's pouring rain. Let's pull off early. Or there's a major traffic jam. So we're going to take a different route. That's okay. You adjust as you go. And then if halfway on your way to LA, you say, you know what? I don't think I want to go to LA anymore. Let's go to San Francisco instead. Fine. Reroute. 
And that is totally okay. And that's how you want to think about it. You've got some macro general sense, but then you make up some of the details as you go in a just-in-time basis. Now, just-in-time, driving might mean, hopefully, before the turn arrives, you figured out you're going to make the turn. In their careers, it might be thinking ahead six months, a year or two, so you have some plan. So don't be afraid that you don't have every piece mapped out. It's not the GPS. That's a great answer. I appreciate that, Mark. Um, <clears throat> quick, quick response question. Coolest job you've ever had that you will go back and go, man, I completely enjoyed that. I wish I could do it again. Teaching at MIT. And thankfully, I do get to do it again. It is just so rewarding to be there with the students. And I still learn things going there from my peers, from the students, but also being able to have that impact. What's been the most rewarding part? If maybe you have a story of you saw someone's life change or they started that career path that they didn't think that they could do. One of the moments I remember most, it was actually a, a networking story because our students were teaching them networking skills. And we have at the end of the week, we have a networking lunch where we bring in a lot of professionals from the area. We say to the students, this is a networking lunch. It's not just a career fair. Hi, my name is Mark. Here's my resume. Do you have a job? <laughs> and talk. And maybe you're not even in my industry, but that's okay. We're just going to chat and get to know each other. Because guess what? In the real world, you don't walk around with your resume and hand it out to a bunch of people at an event. So we had this event. And I remember I sang with some students and prepping them for it. And people started coming in. And I said, okay, let's, let's all get up and start wandering around, start meeting other people. I, I felt kind of like a, a mother bird getting her chicks out of the nest. And so the students slowly, cautiously got up and started walking. But there was one young woman who I remember she was really nervous about this and just kind of sat there unsure what to do. So I walked her over to a friend of mine who was at the event who I knew worked in her field. I introduced them. I got the conversation started, waited a few minutes and they got going. And they went off to go check on other students and see how things were going. And she was very nervous, but I knew he'd be, he'd be good with her. Fast forward two hours and we get the, the note, hey, everyone, start wrapping up your conversations. And I see her racing past me and she says, oh my God, this is so much fun. I don't want it to end. And so this young woman at the start said, ooh, networking, it, it's icky because you hear it's, it's kind of icky and talking to strangers and oh, what, what if they reject me? And what if they don't like me? This is scary. But by having that good positive experience, she changed how she looked at networking. And now going forward, she would seek out networking opportunities and she would be excited and think of even just the next couple of years, how many hundreds more people she would go on to meet and build relationships with that she would not have if she hadn't been in that moment, had that experience. So I really saw her life shift wow. into a new path from that one moment. You changed her wow. whole attachment it. to that forever. <clears throat> it's a positive reinforcement every time it's creating positive feelings, positive thoughts and drawing her in. And you're right. It changed her life. And that's, yeah, Mark, really that's... how it, that's no, how it is with all these, these skills, when you think about, especially if you're coming out of middle school, high school, college, we think about those bad experiences that dropping the tray in middle school and everyone laughing at us. Guess what? If you drop the tray as an adult, 
no one points, no one laughs. Everyone thinks I've been there. I've yeah. dropped the tray. It's not that you're an idiot. We're fine. We don't judge you for that. Mm -hmm. But it takes that experience. And you don't get that experience again in middle school because we are insecure and we do laugh at the other person. And when you do this, when you get those small incremental experiences that are positive, you build up that positive association. You build up that confidence. I mentioned earlier, I am not, I was not a good public speaker. Now I think I'm pretty good at. And what happens in public speaking? We think, oh my God, I'm up there. They, they look at me or laugh at me. Is my, is my hair, did I comb my yeah. hair? You know, is my pants on backwards? And you worry about all these, these things. I've been up on stage. I've had disasters. I've had all sorts of problems happen. And I've gotten through it because the audience, having been in the audience and seeing it, you go, oh, that poor guy, his projector just went down. Yes. That's terrible. And when my projector goes down, I know they're not laughing at me. They're not judging me. And so I'm okay. I'm calm. I'm relaxed. And you remove that insecurity. And then suddenly you can move forward with public speaking or leading or networking or any of these other skills. And so finding small positive experiences, taking those small steps, that's going to build the momentum for you. I love it. You build the yeah. wins. You build that was a great story you told. Sorry. I keep stepping on you guys. I'm so sorry. I'm just saying. <laughs> it's an exciting topic. That's the thing, right? It I get really, really pumped up. I, I knew. I knew oh, you two were going to connect. And Mark, you are absolutely the epitome and the poster person for what this show is and what we're doing and what we're bringing to young adults. Everything that you've shared, your insight, your experience, the honesty, the vulnerability, and the incredible takeaways and action items that you've provided today are just incredible. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Quite well. And also, thank you for giving your time to young people. I mean, it, ch it mm -hmm. could change their trajectory, like the story that you just told. That's really amazing. And for those people who are trying to figure out how to put their career together, the Career Toolkit, I encourage you to go take a look at that book and get those tools and resources you need to get ready when it's your time. And by the way, the time is now. I don't care if you're in eighth grade, you're in high right. school, you're in college. To get those skills and develop them now is super important. Completely. And that's why I come on shows like this. It's why I wrote the book, but also come on shows like this. It's why I have the app because these small little changes we make, they can have such a large long-term impact on our lives. So yeah. don't feel overwhelmed. Don't feel, oh, these other people are so much better than me. Take those small steps. I think of it like compound interest. If you remember compound interest, you just save a little each week, each month, you get that compounding interest effect. We've seen how much it can grow and you get that effect with all of these skills. So start today. Don't worry about doing too much. Don't worry about how far you have to go. Just a little step forward. Focus on just one skill for a bit. Don't worry about doing them all. Pick one area you want to focus on and make those small incremental improvements. And you're going to see a compounding effect that's going to pay huge dividends down the road. The career toolkit book.com. The uh, show notes, it's in the show notes. If you're listening to this, check your favorite platform, check the show notes. The link is there. If you're watching this, the link is there. If you're looking at it right now, the link is there. Make sure that you go and get this book and resource. And Ed, you take us home and remind them what they need to do with this show as well. 
Listen, I got to tell you, this was another great interview. Um, Mark has instilled a lot of interesting information and from the real world, he's actually done it and he's provided a resource. Mark, thank you so much for being on the program. Uh, it, was, it was actually pretty inspiring for me too. So thanks for that. Um, listen, we try to put guests on that are going to empower people to do impressive things or to get out of ruts or to understand where they're at and how to get to the next step. You know, it's all part of this deal. It's careers, educations, and beyond. Uh, this is one of those career education and a little bit beyond on that. So listen, all we care about is you, is you liking it. And if you like it, spread the word. Give us a thumbs up and share it with other folks who might get some value out of it. On behalf of our guest, Mark, and my co-host, uh, Amy, this is Ed. We'll see you in the next uh, podcast episode.